Well, throw it away. Throw it away. Look, you said throw it away. You said throw it away. listening to music and we we're here again yay yo what's up everybody <laughs> i am jamila and i'm jesse also known as jester oh there's a lot to talk about we last episode discussed mostly prince's political song catalog and a little bit of michael i did want to still mention some things in relation to michael i wanted to start off with some congratulatory messages jenna jackson she recently got uh, nominated or inducted, should say, into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame after years and years and years of not being nominated or inducted. And the Jan fam and other people who appreciate music were asking the question, why is she not nominated? You have to be in the industry for at least 10 years. She's made rock music. She set the standards in many ways. She's inspired and influenced many people. Why is she not inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And finally, it happened to the joyous roar of many of the Jan fam. And <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> we are a part of the rhythm nation. We do congratulate Janet Jackson and her achievements. Pretty cool. The funny thing is. This is Janet's time. I think it's always been Janet's time in some capacity. Made for now. Not tomorrow. Made for now. There it Made is. For now. That's where Look it is. Around. Janet's always been doing her thing. Look around. Look around. <laughs> so with the, what's his name? Uh, Les Moonbees. So that guy getting fired or quote unquote resigning amidst the sexual assault scandals or sexual misconduct, then Justin Timberlake, all of these things that <laughs> where Janet has gotten thrown under the bus. And now Janet is truly getting a lot of justice, justice being served on her end. And I think it's a good thing. Janet just, she minds her business. She's just like, I'm just doing my thing. And all these people have been trying to get in her way. And so now it's Janet's time. Congratulations. Miss Jackson, if you nasty. That's right. <laughs> Miss Jackson. <laughs> so, dedications this day. Who do we want to dedicate this show to, Jesse? You think we are dedicating this show people? to the wonderful jazz singer who just passed away. Who just transcended, though? She transcended. Nancy Wilson. Wait, what? Nancy Wilson transcended when? two days when? ago. What? I'm sorry. I thought you knew that. No. Yeah. No. She two days ago. What? Yep. Wait, wait, hold it on. It says up, Nancy Wilson, who's skilled and flexible approach to singing, provided a key bridge between sophisticated hold, hold, jazz. Hold, hold up. Hold. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Pause for a second. Wow. I, yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. Oh. Yeah. I'm sorry. I thought you knew. 
Oh. I feel bad for just dropping that on you because I feel like we talked about it. I don't know. Maybe I was, I just, no. I didn't know much about her until I read an article and I listened to her music that day I heard about it. Like I just was listening to all of her stuff. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So we're going to, wow. So with the congratulations, I literally just found out some sad news and we are going to dedicate the show to this wonderful sister, Nancy Wilson. I really did not know she had transcended a couple of days ago until Jesse told me. And I'm kind of sad right now. Wow. Oh my goodness. I don't know if you were aware that Nancy Wilson actually put Arsenio Hall on and he was always indebted to her for that. And he would have her Wow, sitting on audience on a show yeah nancy was oh wow she had her most famous song i'm gonna say she always sang it and it was a crowd favorite guess who i saw today <laughs> a lot of people covered it but nancy wilson that's her song and she did songs like black is beautiful and she had an amazing voice Oh my goodness, Nancy Wilson, thank you for your talents, for your beauty, for encouraging other people to fulfill their dreams. Wow, this is... Yes, wow. we honor and celebrate Nancy Wilson. Wow. She's forever here through what she left behind. That's transcendence. Wow, you know, so. Nancy Wilson, Ashe. My goodness, my goodness. Well, Jesse, thank you for letting me know that. I'm definitely in a bit of shock. I really didn't know. And the funny thing is, we talked earlier, we all know that transcendence is an aspect that's part of the cycle of life. But when it hits us, we just pause, we just go into shock. It just really (laughs) moves us in a whole different direction. So, <laughs> wow, I'm amazed at that news. That that really did put me in a whole different spot. And it's okay. It really is okay. I'm yes. really appreciative to have been in existence at the time of Nancy Wilson, that's for sure. Wow. For sure. Yes, who I saw today. I'm going to listen to that. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Guess, guess who we saw. we saw a lot of folks mark lamont hill that's well that's who we heard but before we get into that i want to mention a couple of things and this is in relation to michael i'm still seeing that michael jackson is alive i'm seeing people still comment that no michael jackson is not alive i don't care what pearl jr says I don't care what oh my goodness, any of these believers say, and they go, well, the three letters in the word believer lie, <laughs> and he's going to come back, just you wait, 2019 in March or whatever date they're coming up with, and they continue to come up with. If well, I can't I, wait till that come back, because it's, you know, yeah. it's going to be 10 years. Oh, yeah, so he's going to come back on June 25th, 2019, the 10-year anniversary. I, I get it, people. He's going to come back and he's going to have a film crew at Forest Lawn and he's going to go, surprise, 
Jeez, yeah, that's what's going to happen, right? It, it's just unbelievable that people continue to not honor and respect not only his humanity, but his family. And there are times we may disagree with the family, but we still have to respect that a family member has physically passed on and we have to give people peace. We have to give people respect. I understand we all love Michael. I understand that we miss him. I understand that we still want him to be here, but that's not possible. He is gone. He is long gone. He is long decomposed. It's been nine years, almost 10. I think we can't recreate a story for something that's already happened. You know, like that was Michael's story. He passed away. (laughs) It happened under unfortunate circumstances, AKA murder. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, to delude ourselves into some imaginative, you know, framework of him being alive, it's just, come on, you know, what do you gain out of it? Nothing. What would that say about your life, even if he was still here? Like, what now? <laughs> what is he going to do? Do you want him to do labor for you so you can see him perform? Like, a lot of people just want him alive so they can see him live, so he can go back on the plantation? That's what you want? Exactly. Very well said, Jesse. <laughs> like, what use would he be of just coming back? The times have changed, perspectives have changed, and I'm sure if he was sitting back watching the whole thing, he wouldn't even want to come back. He's just chilling somewhere. Yeah, right, no, exactly. Like, yeah, I'm good, actually. I don't want to be back in this bull. Look how right. the music industry has changed now from when he was here in 2009. Like, right. this is before. The advent of Apple Music and Spotify and how people get paid, what they're expected to do at a level of performance. Right. The 360s, all of that. You think he would really want to be involved in that? <laughs> he was just, I mean, he his last tour was called This Is It. So even if he was here, it's like, it's over. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm done. He lived a hell of a life. He was a prodigy. He'd been doing it his whole life. You want to come back to just perform again? Well, then all sense. What does that make? <sighs> so, yeah, let's cut that cord quick. Please, please, and please. Yeah. Just to let's respect Janet and yeah, her moment right Janet. now and respect the legacy of her brother. She was inspired by so much what he did, and he was inspired by her. It is her moment now. What is is the saying? Oh, that was actually in the song, Can You Feel It? Every breath you take is someone's death in another place. So Mm. the steps and the breaths that Janet's taking, she is is honoring her brother. He is not here. So she's continuing that legacy. She's continuing that legacy, and we honor that. Because clearly, you know, I was just watching a clip of Michael, and I remember when he mentioned he had to call Janet like hey can I take what you did you know I really like what you did you know and she's like yeah yeah cool I mean they both worked with each other and respected each other they had just yeah you said that really wonderfully this is Janet's time and Janet has always been her she's always been doing her thing like even the year Michael passed I remember she did that video uh make me new tell me what do make me new it's like it was just it was so futuristic and cool and it was like you know she's always been committed to just her craft so respect right we have to respect 
not only people's legacies, but their humanity. And if we're looking at it from the perspective of he's a Jackson and he owes us based on his name, we're not letting him, quote, rest in peace. We're just still wanting to take from him even after he's decomposed. We got to stop it. He is not alive. I just wanted to say that because I'm tired of seeing those comments. Yeah. I'm still seeing it nine years later. It's ridiculous. Stop it's ridiculous, it. really. <laughs> so in other Michael news, he wrote this piece called Palestine or Palestine Don't Cry. And this is going to be a segue into a little bit of what we're going to talk about before we get into primarily Prince's other political songs. I think this is really crucial in light of Mark Lamont Hill's speech. And some people have, I guess, been in opposition to this piece, and not a lot of people knew about this piece. But it says, and I'm trying to read his handwriting because it was very sloppy, see the plains of the days of old. Just a century ago, when stories were told of something of how Galilee ran through the Jordan River, what remains of cold tears of war, of the death and dying, bombshells are flying, bodies multiplying, see the children crying, what are they fighting for? I will pray for you, O Palestine, O Palestine, I will carry you, O Palestine. Indeed, and my heart will always love you. And there was another piece where he actually wrote, Oh, Palestine, I will die for you. I don't see it in this piece, but there was another mm-hmm. thing I saw in his writing where he says, I will die for you. And I said, Okay. <laughs> okay, Michael. I will die for you, Palestine. With that, would Michael be seen as anti Zionist? I'm sure. People who have seen this piece have been arguing about it. Anyone who recognizes the history of Palestine and the formulation of Israel in 1948, a little historical background, 1917, November 2nd, 1917, there was a letter written to Lord Rothschild by Balfour, Mr. Balfour, and it was calling to establish a quote, Jewish homeland in Palestine. And it was a long time coming. And in 1948, there was the formation of Israel as uh, supported by, of course, the British, the UN, etc. And that was the beginning of the Nakba, which was the beginning of the genocidal acts upon Palestinian people and uh, the annexing of Gaza and the West Bank, and this continues to this day. So Mark Lamont Hill's speech was in reference to that. What I love about Mark Lamont Hill's speech is that he not only had anecdotal evidence as to his experience in Palestine, but it matched the empirical evidence which had been done through massive research from many human rights organizations And then his historical analysis was on point. I really appreciated that about him. I am not necessarily the biggest fan of Mark Lamont Hill. I think he's neoliberal. And he does, in some cases, a lot of the respectability politics, which he was actually critiquing in the speech. So I found that very surprising. (laughs) But he has been consistent on this issue in relation to his support for 
uh, Palestinian liberation. I know you've seen the speech, Jesse. What do you think? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the speech was really well informed because as someone who doesn't know much about what was going on to the extent in which he extrapolated all of you know Gaza and just why nothing has been said about it. He did a really good job at bringing to light of it. And it's crazy. And I, there were moments while listening, I was like, oh, that's what got you. That's what got you. Good hey, say that, you know, because you you already know in America, you can't say certain things. You can't make America accountable. The moment you start making America accountable, it's like, wait a minute now. We're not accountable. Just the way they use words that protect the nationalistic interest of whatever America decides to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so he really challenged that in a way that was verifiable which obviously pisses a lot of people off. So I did enjoy it. And I think it was nice to hear it be said. And he even clarified because he was like, you know, a lot of people are taking this moment to consider me anti-Semitic and any of that. And I'm not, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm just, I'm just telling you what's clear, you know, and it's up to you to examine it. That just shows you that the people who, wow, I can go, I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole, but uh, (laughs) we could just say, yeah, it was well informed, and if I haven't watched it, it's a good thing to, to check out. I think using primary sources as your information is a very crucial thing. What's been happening in relation to Mark Lamont Hill's speech is that people are seeing secondary sources, so they're seeing bits and pieces of it, and they're formulating opinions of those secondary sources to fuel their own opinions. So they're not even getting an objective viewpoint or observing the nuances of the speech. One of the things that's happened was when he said, from the river to the sea, he says, well, he automatically supports Hamas. He supports a terrorist organization. Not once in my experience of hearing Mark Lamont Hill talk about this issue has he said he's in support of Hamas. Not in that speech, he hasn't said it. So people are being reactionary based on their own world viewpoint, uh, based, on, based on their loyalties. What else happens is people are utilizing this in relation to what's attributed to Voltaire, to learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticize. And Prince and Michael definitely <laughs> recognize that. But people have been saying, well, you can't critique Israel, but you also can't critique the LGBTQ community. And I said, hold up. First of all, when people say that, uh, and people say, well, he should just focus on, quote, black issues. Why is he focused on Palestinians? Arabs don't like us. That's a multi-tiered issue. In my experience as a pan-African organizer, I can tell you that's farthest from the truth. We organize with Palestinian organizations who understand that the liberation of African people is at the forefront for us and they support our struggle, just as we support their struggle. And we understand that this is about land. People are focusing about culture. So saying, well, you know, Arabs don't like us. So why are you focused on this? This is their problem. This is everybody's problem. If you live in the US, your tax dollars are going towards the annexation of Palestine for Israel, a white supremacist, settler colonial state. So your tax dollars are going towards that. If you say you're anti-racist and you say this is not your issue, then you are by proxy, if you will, supporting 
racism, white supremacy in the annexation of someone else's land, indigenous people's land, which is exactly what happened in the US, which has happened in Australia, which happened in New Zealand. We should all be concerned about these issues because it does affect us globally. This idea that, well, he's focused on LGBTQ issues and not quote, black issues. Uh, lest we forget there are Africans in the LGBTQ community and if we look at reports from, say, the Williams Institute, other organizations like that, they did some deep research talking about the economic, the racial, the job disparities when it comes to the LGBTQ plus communities. So to say that LGBTQ people have systemic power, that would be factually incorrect and does not match the statistics that have come out speaking about these issues. So we need to stop being reactionary and actually do research and we need to pay attention to empirical evidence and we need to pay attention to primary sources and not fuel some opinion based on how we view the world. And one of the best things he said in this speech, he said, too often we have framed human rights through the lens of the West, which is what's happening. <laughs> we have viewed it through the gaze of colonialism. And we have assessed them through the limited prism of our own experiences. Simply put, the powerful have too often attempted to universalize their own particular and local values. So when we don't look at the struggles internationally, we are limiting ourselves when looking locally. And a lot of people who are utilizing a race nationalist or cultural nationalist argument and in turn defend people like Malcolm X, you're disrespecting Malcolm X's legacy because he internationalized the struggle. There was the Bandung Conference in which uh, Arab communities, Asian communities, and African communities got together for the sake of liberation because everyone was being colonized by the Europeans. And so people did get together for one purpose, liberation. This is about land. Uh, to talk about the Vietnamese struggle, Malcolm X was addressing these issues. He wasn't just like, I'm going to stay black and die. That makes no sense. If you're talking about African liberation struggle, you have to look at how this is affected internationally because Africa feeds the whole world, either through materials, through land, through human labor. So we Come on have now. to preserve this. We not, have to yeah, observe this. So to say, it from what it is. Right. So we can't be like, well, this is the Palestinians. That's not my issue. This is very much an African issue. And if we want to look at what happened with Zania, South Africa, Israel helped to fund the apartheid government of South Africa. So to say this does not affect African people would also be factually wrong. And people worship at the feet of Nelson Mandela. What happened when he got out of prison? He praised the Palestinian liberation movement. <laughs> So to say this is no concern to us, people who understand history and people who study liberation movements understand how important the Palestinian liberation movement is. So to limit this to just culture and limit this to race is very damaging to any kind of liberation movement. So this, this whole speech was spot on. He also called the task other neoliberals don't romanticize nonviolence. <laughs> Because it's clear, even somebody like Martin Luther King, yes, nonviolence was a tactic to him, but he understood there were other tactics to meet your objectives. There's no one way you were going to meet your objective. There's many different types of people in the world. 
So Mark Lamont Hill acknowledging that I thought was brilliant. Yeah, I wrote down a, a whole bunch of things. So I, I, I listened to this speech about three times in a row and I love it and I'm going to listen to it even more. But even with the whole idea saying, well, this is of no concern to us. We look at what's happening in Palestine right now. The Palestinians, there's no dis, uh, no distinction between civilians and quote potential terrorists or combatants. This is what happens to Africans in the U.S. This is what happened with Michael Brown. This is what happened with John Crawford. This is what happened with Sandra Bland, with so many people who are automatically deemed criminals. Why is a teenager shot in two seconds? Because we're combatants, we're enemies in this country. The Africans are denied due process of law in this country in many cases. Across the globe, uh, detained without even being charged with a crime. Sometimes drugs are planted, trumped up charges. To say that what's going on with Palestinians is of no concern to us, pay attention, pay attention. He, uh, Mark Lamont Hill mentioned the nation state law where you addressed uh, Arabic being rejected as an official state language. What happened when we were forcefully shipped here? Our languages were stolen from us. Our means of living, our cultures were stolen from us, our spiritual practices. So to say that this is of no concern to us, we have to have a wider scope of history. We have to have a wider scope of study in order to understand how important this issue is to the world, how important this issue is to us as African people and any people who are systemically oppressed and colonized around the world. This speech was so crucial in the midst of the uh, <laughs> international, <coughs> excuse me, in the midst of the International Day of Solidarity with Palestine and, and the 70th anniversary of the Nakba. We have to really study history and in connection with Prince and Warner Brothers, it's really funny that Prince considered himself to be a slave under the Warner Brothers contract because the history of Warner Brothers, you have these four brothers. One of them was born in Poland, the other three born in the U.S., but they had very, very, quote, ethnic names. So when you're talking about a family name, I just love it because the name, the last name was uh, Mojzeis or Wansal. And so Harry Warner in particular, his name was Hearst Mojzeis Wansal. I'm totally mangling that. I apologize. And when their father, Benjamin, when he emigrated to the U.S., he changed it to Warner. They have kept their family history, so they are aware of their family name. Once again, African people, um, a large portion of African people who were shipped here have no ties to their history, which is why people go, oh, I'm not African, I was born here, I'm American. <laughs> but there are people who do have ties to their family names and understand the history. So Harry Warner, he was a traditional Jewish man, and there was a documentary on film which is distributed by Warner Brothers. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> it was a family member, I think was a, either a granddaughter or a niece. She made a documentary called The Brothers Warner, which was taken from the book. And her name was Cass Warner Spelling, and, or Sperling. And there was a segment in the movie, and I have not found this on the internet. It's really funny that this has gotten left out on any website that I've seen. But if I'm not mistaken, if I recall in the film, Harry Warner was openly against the foundation of Israel in 1948. 
of course, he got a, a backlash for it, and he then recanted his statements. But there was a whole uh, document in which people signed saying, well, I'm opposed to the Foundation of Israel, 1948, all of this stuff. And I think Jack Warner, he was the, they compared him to, what's the guy, the Miramax guy? What's his name? The guy that everybody hates now. That uh, Jack Warner, the brother, was a slime ball, and he threw the rest of his brothers under the table. It's a very interesting story. And, uh, I think he just didn't care either way politically. He just wanted to make money. But Harry Warner was a strict Jewish man, and like many other Jewish people, he, if I'm not mistaken, once again, he was against the foundation of Israel. And there's organizations such as um, the Nature Carta. They are considered to be the quote-unquote crazy, bad word, but the crazy wing of the Orthodox Jews. And they are solidly opposed to the state of Israel. They call it an illegal state. They said the land deserves to be um, returned to the Palestinians. So to say, and this is the last point I'm going to make about this, to say that the Jews own everything, to say that oh, the, the, Jews, the Jews just point blank, they all support the state of Israel, that doesn't really make any sense. I know more than a few Jewish people, and everyone I know is anti-Zionist. There have been people in Israel who I've personally known who protested the settlements in Israel. I've had friends who were locked up in Israeli prisons for being um, part Arabs. So this is very real that's it's going on. And to say that everyone outrightly supports the Israeli government is like saying everybody supports the U.S. government here, which would not be true. Not everyone supports the governments they live in. People cannot help where they were born. But to say, well, you know, this, these people, clearly they support, you know, their government. That's just obviously false. Like, not everyone is going to agree with the government. The whole anti-Semitic thing saying Mark Lamont Hill is anti-Semitic. If you are pro-Palestinian, you are not anti-Semitic. Palestinians are Semitic peoples. Semitic peoples, it's not particularly based on a religion as a whole. It's based on a series of languages. It's based on lineages. And if you look at lineages, if you look at DNA, people born in Palestine in that area are Semitic people. So in my view, anyone who is one billion Zionist is anti-Semitic because you are against other Semitic peoples. The the whole thing to wrap this up, Warner Brothers, <laughs> in 2015, you have Alex uh, Magan. He was the uh, senior vice president of technology at Warner Brothers. He actually has a double citizenship as far as I can see from 2004 to 2009, he lived in Israel and goes back and forth to Israel and is making moves to create some kind of Warner Brothers industry in Israel. To tie that, we have uh, Wonder Woman, which was produced or, or distributed by Warner Brothers. The star of that, Gal Gadot, she was in the Israeli Defense Forces. As far as I know, she is a Zionist. And so Lebanon and other places across the map have protested the um, the showing of Wonder Woman based on what's happening in Lebanon, where uh, Israel 
they went on Lebanese land in order to attack Syria. So that's a whole other conversation. But there are varying political reasons why people do and have protested Wonder Woman. It's not like, ah! But there are very real reasons uh, politically why people have. So to tie all of this to Prince and Warner Brothers, and it's just very clear that to me, this is all connected. Uh, people are looking even at Prince's connections with all of this. I've seen videos in the past where people were calling to test his political beliefs because he may have said a word or two to Farrakhan. Mark Lamont Hill, because he's praised Farrakhan, people are like, oh, see, he's full of hate. He's full of hate. They did the same thing to Michael Jackson because he was associated with the NOI, introduced to Michael by Jermaine, by the way, <laughs> and Randy. <laughs> but Michael Jackson is filled with hate because somehow he wrote a poem praising the Palestinian people and the land of Palestine saying, this is your land, which in my view is what the piece is about. And his association with the Nation of Islam during the trial and on. So it, to me, it's all connected, but I wanted to... Uh, mention Mark Lamont Hill because Mark Lamont Hill, I don't know if he committed class suicide. He just slightly apologized for his speech. I'm like, you don't have to do that. You should just be like, I said what I said. Deal with it. I don't apologize. I'm consistent on it. But he said, no, no, I didn't mean to hurt anybody. And that's the neoliberal move. So yeah, well, that's that. the, I know. But see that, that con I knew that was coming too. Oh, that's <laughs> not what I meant, you know? Oh, don't do it to me. But, you know, <laughs> you knew that was coming. You knew it was coming. I did. I did. Mark Lamont Hill. So I did know. But still, the speech was so excellent. Made so many excellent points. Why apologize but for I that? But I don't want to imply that I'm suggesting right. I'm guilty. Of da -da -da -da. <laughs> it's a way of saying, let me save my ass before you grill me. Right. But he, he right. could have already. I mean, he said this is going to become something that he's going to take an advantage from as well so i mean to another degree it's like that was expected but he's gonna pretty pretty much navigate beyond this it'll be interesting to just see what he'll do now since mm -hmm. you know since it's been that he was fired well he was fired from cnn but temple university is considering his tenure but there's been a lot of faculty and students who have been supporting him so we'll see what happens yeah, but we'll but there have been people I I'm going to maintain that Prince committed class suicide because he straight up said, yeah, I know I'm not selling that many records, but I'm doing what I want. So he was confident in his beliefs and he made the art he wanted to make. And he made a lot of political views, which people deem controversial. I think Mark Lamont Hill should go that route, honestly. Like yeah, you, make your own avenue. I mean, you have right. to be comfortable. In order to be like that, you have to be comfortable in what you're doing. You Thank know? you. You don't need yes. nobody to say, oh, well, Mark, that's that's offensive. And can you clarify? You just you can speak if you want or you don't. You don't. You, know, you make right. your own lane. You call the shots. I mean, right. that's that's going to probably mean a reduction in pay. People might not be giving you the clout that they were giving you before. But then that just lets you know what they were in for from the get go. If right. they don't just be dodging on that, you know, you're on your path. So it's really just about being honest to that and not giving that much of service to the people who doubt you or what you're doing.
Right, and they have to understand that Hollywood, all of these companies, they come from the same system, indoctrination-wise, financially, economically. They all have the same funders, and you are paid to disseminate the same messages in order to support a particular system. And folks like Prince understood that. They got their foot in the door and said, okay, I don't want to deal with that no more. I want to do things on my own terms, which will reach people in the way I feel is necessary. If you just want to seat at the table, you're not going to get the results you want. And I think Michael understood that. And I think Mark Lamont Hill is understanding that. If you're going on Capitalist News Network, CNN, going on and saying, I don't support Zionism, do you really think you're going to still have a job? (laughs) Really? They really, (laughs) because they uh, also fired uh, Rick Sanchez, right? I think that's his name, Uh for doing the same thing. And now he works for Russia Today. And George Galloway, all of these people who have been speaking against these systems of oppression, they do not work for capitalist news media because they understood the price. Even Phil Donahue. Phil Donahue got fired from MSNBC for speaking against the Iraq war. You can't even speak against the Iraq <laughs> well, war. Of course not. I mean, you see how CNN and Fox and most of these companies protect. I mean, they love talking about the, the troops. This is right. a country that is so obsessed with that. And they don't even want you can't say anything that makes it seem as if their wars are unjustified. Because then that would say something about the troops. And they're protecting your rights. <laughs> and look how many troops are coming back being like, wait. Uh, yeah, what, you don't I, even give me, you give me nothing when I come back. You care right. about me only when I'm fighting. But as soon as I come back, I can't even have a house, no benefit, nothing. Right. So that's not even. Right. So, yeah. And so GE, munitions companies, those are the ones paying the bills for these corporations at NBC and all that. We have to understand where the money comes from, who's funding. When you're speaking against these systems of oppression, these systems of imperialism, dominion, colonialism, don't expect to have a job the next day. You're going to get fired on your yeah, day Yeah, you're going to get fired on your day off. <laughs> yep. So... <laughs> So Mark Lamont Hill had his, his Negro moment, as they say. <laughs> like, you really, you see it now, huh? huh? And I think I think he knew that, but it was like, oh, wait, okay. Oh, wait, oh, but they really, yep. <laughs> CNN, man. And he's been around for a minute, you know. I've, I right. realized he's been around since, as a child, I remember him, like, being on Fox and debating and having these conversations, bringing up key issues, you know. So I guess this was one of the, it was only about, it was about the time. You were ready. Do you remember the time when I had a job at CNN? <laughs> <laughs> ah! <laughs> no, we don't remember that, Mark Lamont Hill. When was that? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted Jeez. to say with Michael, in, in terms of the political objectives, I think both Michael and Prince had similar objectives. Just like a lot of other people, they wanted peace for the world. They wanted people to live freely. They wanted people to live as they wanted within reason. (laughs) But how they chose to go about that route 
I think we're different. If we're going to go back to the whole Prince versus Michael thing, I still don't think that's necessary to even go there. But Michael was idealistic in a way where he felt, and it was a bit neoliberal, if you want to be real about it. Somehow he thought that something could be fixed about this country. And somehow there was the dream and we could make it a reality and we could fix it if only uh, we right, did this right. or that and put a Band-Aid over it. I don't know if that was necessarily an immature way of looking at things. I think it was a very romantic way of looking at things. It was a very naive way of looking at things. Yeah. Fritz, on the other hand, was like, yeah, the system sucks. Uh, I know that Michael said the system sucks on Scream, but he still, on the other end, had this dream that somehow things were going to be fixed. Prince was like, no, the system's broken. I ain't trying to fix nothing. Like The two-party system is a sham. It's not the two-party. Like, he was very clear about that. Where Michael, he was just like, well, um... Yeah, he was, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, Clinton. Yeah. You know, <laughs> can you, can you yeah, at Clinton. least do something yeah. about, you know, bringing attention to AIDS? You know, that was, like, he was, he was pleading with the system to assist in these problems when they're funding the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah. There was there was hope. Michael depended he on He had hope. hope. He did have a lot of hope and just, you know, there's one thing counting on that kind of optimism. That's one thing about the uh, speech that um, Lamont said that was really nice to hear yes. about, you know, oh, you know, optimism ain't gonna change nothing. Right. <laughs> You know, all this hope, you hope, oh, we can get together and hope, hope, hope. Okay, but then what's going to happen after that? Right. Nothing. You have to openly speak out. Now, yeah, you're going to lose something for it. People might think you're talking too much, but that's what you need to do because then now they are forced to deal with it. Right. But you can't just be hoping away. And it's not to say Michael did that, but I think he did have a lot of faith in, I mean, yeah, it was weird because it was, but uh, I mean... Yeah, <laughs> I got you. Well, Michael was talking about we do need to come together as one. But he was, in my view, he was getting close to speaking about organizing, but he was more dealing with mobilization. And I think Prince was straight up talking about organizing. I mean, he talked about stand up organize in uh-huh. at least two songs. So uh, Yeah, I mean, he's like, we got to get together. And so even in reference to what Mark Lamont Hill was saying, I think this is even in reference to to family name, because he straight up said we must recognize the right of an occupied people to defend itself. This is exactly what Prince was talking about in family name. When you understand that all of this is a sham, all the oppressed peoples of the world, people of color, which was discussed are going to get together and rise up against the oppressor. This was the very subject matter of the song. (laughs) So this is why I think the context of the Mark Lamont Hill speech is connected to what Prince and Michael were talking about. The interconnectedness is very, very, very real. (laughs) But he also said, we must prioritize peace, but we must not romanticize or fetishize it. So I think Michael... He didn't necessarily fetishize or romanticize peace. He looked at it as a goal. But I think Prince was more like, yeah, if we got to pick up some guns, we'll do it. If there is no justice, then there ain't no peace. 
even though he was saying ban the gun and all that like again i think he understood that there were different methods of yeah he knew it's like the that's there you go that's how you said it there were different methods and he was aware of that and you know he couldn't help the way he thought because he was raised with not having nothing and so he did Mm -hmm. things where it's like look this is just what if this is if this is where it's gonna come to this is where it's gonna be you know (laughs) so i mean i don't think yeah that's totally to the testament of prince and michael and how they approached the different ways of doing it because it's very naive for anyone to assume i get that way that romantic lens of hope and optimism because it's um you know it's easy to tell a children i guess not really <laughs> but then you hear things like paris saying you know michael's kid that he would say openly he would criticize america and he would talk about you know the genocide of the native americans and the enslavement That's of what africans I'm talking about, man. so i feel like yes. he was yes. yeah <laughs> and this is this is my problem with Michael. This is the biggest problem I have with Michael, because underneath all that, you understood he had that. If you studied him enough, if you paid attention to his music, you you saw that side. But he wanted to appeal to everyone, and you run into problems when you try to do that, because not everyone's going to like you. So don't appeal to everyone. So if he's trying to be the king of pop, he's going to run into a wall consistently. So you're telling your kids one thing, and I think that's why they are the way they are, because he put those things, he instilled those values in them. But to publicly say, yeah, you know, uh, I have a dream. No, man. <laughs> like, come come with it. Come with how you actually are. Come with how you actually are and be like, yo, the Native people were, had genocide committed on them. What's up with that? And that's why I love the history album because he alluded to all of that. He alluded to so much of that. He should have stayed consistent with that. And I feel like songs such as Shout, songs such as We've Had Enough also allude to that. But imagine if he was consistently making songs like that. That would be a beautiful thing. And he would alienate much of his fan base. That is true. But so... Exactly. See, that's the thing Prince realized early. He's like, man, you ain't gonna get everybody. A lot of people gonna look at you like, man, what the, if this man don't get off the stage, what are you trying to talk about? This? You, I don't care. I'm doing it for me. This is where I'm going. I know where I'm going. If you ain't ready for it, then cool. If you're ready for it, cool. Either way, this is where I'm going. I ain't trying to get your approval or your your you know how you look at me because that don't, I don't care how you look at me. I this is what I'm doing, you know. And so Michael, he was so respectful of the fact that people believed different things. You know, he traveled the world as a young kid. He got to see so many different kinds of culture, just different forms of life. And so he was very respectful of the fact that people saw it differently. People were going to get angry at certain things. But I think that may have had some sort of effect on how he talked about certain he was like oh and i never he you can watch any interview of michael and he'll do this thing where he's like oh and that's not to say that's a jackson thing too yep it's like oh it's not to say that i hate anybody or that i'm against no 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 it's nothing like that it's it's out of love (laughs) you know (laughs) it's like don't get it twisted but instead of being like yep he didn't really give the people that attitude Mm -hmm. i don't know why he didn't do it i think he loved kind of carrying 
just that mystique, you know, very objective. But he's not kind of, you know, he's a media trained. He know. But right. he ain't going to be caught slipping. So <laughs> so it was that kind of thing, you know. But, yeah. <laughs> if you're saying, if you want to know things about me, you know, on my music, why wouldn't you answer in that same way? Why is your answer contradictory to what's in the song? And Prince was consistent in both his music and his answers. Yeah, yeah, well, Michael yeah. Michael was right. not. <laughs> Again, if you're teaching your kids particular values, why is that not reflected upon your interviews? Why are you giving these, these really weak answers trying to, again, make everybody happy? You're not going to do that. And when Oprah Winfrey's asking you, are you a virgin? Just be like, next. Right. You know, but I think what a lot of that, again, was media training. He was a bit f- afraid to just walk in how that kind of confidence just to be able like, like I'm steering this conversation. You see, that's right. the exactly. to be that kind of person requires not only vulnerability, but you just you got to know where you're going, you know. Mm-hmm. And that, and I feel like he had that. It's not like he was that naive. I don't tend to believe that no. Michael was just no naive way. about it. No I just way. think he sometimes he would do this. He would just do this thing where he would never want to be pinned down to the implication, right? Even if the implication was tabloid motive motivated, like <laughs> Oprah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but if he wanted to do away with implications or assumptions, your answer would be more succinct. But because yes. he was media trained by Motown, when it's that Motown. Him, there you go. There it is. When people asked him a question that was a curveball, mm-hmm. he had enough training to be able to be prepared for that. But he wasn't prepared for that. Yeah. And so when Oprah Winfrey's asking him all these exploitative questions, he said, he, 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 oh, Oprah, oh. And the vitiligo thing, he should have said, look, I have vitiligo. You know, this is private. This is a private matter. This is a medical issue. If you want to understand more about vitiligo, there's the internet. He could have just said that. Thank you. Drop the mic. But he said, mm-hmm. "Well, I I have something I can't control." And he gets, yeah, yeah. He got but see, up. right? It's that he got caught up exactly. Instead of being because again, he's used to being somebody in a driver's seat, or mm-hmm. he's used to being a passenger rather, right. not having to really rely on someone curving him like that. And he should have known Oprah was going to come with that bull. I mean, oh, we can go on and on, on, on about that. But yeah, <laughs> you kind of have to, you have to, I feel like when you're an artist or if you're just in the public sphere, it's just always better to know that you can control how this conversation is going. Right. You don't have to be victim to the assumption or any of it because mm-hmm. then they can't come at you twice. That's like when Prince was at Tavis Smiley and he was like, <laughs> well, I can't be played. <laughs> you know, anyone who tries to play me plays himself. I know what I'm saying. Like, you might not know. And hey, it's symbols. It's art. Make it whatever you make it. But I know what I'm saying. I mean, again, it speaks of the training and how it was for him in Motown and just navigating with his father, even, you know, mm-hmm. just that family, the Jacksons, they're very, all of them are extremely, they all fall victim to that. Someone asked me some years ago, how do you love Michael Jackson so much when you're anti-capitalist? And my response was, his ideals are actually very socialist. He may not execute them in the way I may execute something, but if you look at his values, if you look at his music, how he interacts with people, 
it's very much on a socialistic level idealistically in terms of the ideology that's a whole different story i think prince's ideology and how he honors that is more in line with that i don't even necessarily agree with prince's ideology in full but i think his ideology is closer to where i stand and how he executes it to forge towards the goal but michael again his ideology is more in line with well you know we have to to, you know (laughs) that's that's where he is (laughs) but i think how he has lived his life he opened neverland to the public how he interacted with people again he was very giving so I think those are very socialistic values on a personal level. Now, when we're talking about on a mass level, that's a whole other conversation. To say that Michael was capitalistic, he did not exploit people on a mass level. He did not use people for his personal profit gain. He, yes, used people in a way to deal with his own issues, but that's very different than a system of capitalism. <laughs> The fact that they were two major artists and had very, in my view, Jamila's view, anti-capitalist sentiments, I think that says a lot about who they were as humans. Totally. I think when people think about someone being anti-capitalist, they don't recognize that contradictions exist. For instance, people say, how can you be anti-capitalist and you have a job? We still live in a capitalist society. You can't get away from that. In order to have a truly socialist society, you need the masses to be included in that. I, as an individual, cannot change a whole society. So I still have bills to pay. <laughs> I'm still living in right, right. oppression. <laughs> and people asking that to me, those are usually questions to deflect attention from the fact that they are most likely not knowledgeable about issues of socialism and capitalism. Yes. <laughs> But I think it is a valid question to say, you know, as someone who is an anti-capitalist, how do you like Michael so much? I actually do think that is a valid question, given that Michael was labeled the king of pop. So you had these hierarchies. You're a king, which means you have subjects, which means you're above people. I always tell this to people. I don't see how that runs across people's minds, you know, because I think of the the historical context is just always important to to bring out you're always closer to the truth when you know history right but if you don't know history then you just far off because when i hear people like oh queens and kings it's like wait a minute now who 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 building these thrones you think the king the king and queen building the thrones no thank you they got subjects now what about the farmers the ones that's just traveling all the time that's who I am. I ain't no. I ain't trying to be no king. I don't want nobody under me. I Thank am, you. You know, like what's? Why can't we work together? And you know, that's right. one thing I think Prince did advocate a lot of that. You listen to the last song on the Rainbow Children, the last December. You need to come together, to come together as one, 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 and it just kind of faded out with that. That you know, mm-hmm. we have to come together and work with each other. And even when I think of the song Baltimore, I recently heard Phase Two had celebrated its third year anniversary on twelfth of this uh, year and I was listening to it and you know I just remember Baltimore because he called me when I um 
I first heard that song. I got the link of, oh, you know, and they sent me that song for the first time. And that's when he just had open Twitter. So he was like, go to the website. And I was the first one to follow him on Twitter. I'm like, oh, man, this is amazing. Yeah, of course. I'll share it with the world. And so now listening back to it and just seeing what he said around that time, very much about, you know, next time I come to Baltimore, I want you all to be. I mean, he had that black capitalism thing in a sense, but <laughs> but it was still like, I want to support you. Like, I want you all are educated. You all can do it on your own. We can work together. You know, I don't right. want to stay in a white man's hotel, basically. I want to stay where you all are <laughs> getting the profit, you know. <laughs> and this is how I don't understand people going, Prince, he didn't see color. Oh, come where, where are people getting this from? I don't know. Like another thing, I just watched, and this is a shout out to the podcast Juice, <laughs> Michael yeah. Dean. He did an interview with the, uh, not for, I forget his name, the guy who interviewed Prince for the Ebony interview. Oh, yes, I um, was listening to that. I didn't finish yeah, it, but I was listening It's to really good. Interview. I mean, they basically just, he shared a bit more than he did before, but it was still just nice to know that Prince went off the rail like that. Like, he didn't mind talking about. You know, just the ways he saw it. And I mean, just how he took a dig at um, No Doubt. He was like, you know, don't get don't get it twisted. They're good at performing their own thing, but they can't improvise, you know. And that came from, you know, a statement that the guy asked him about Miles Davis, because, you know, Miles Davis said he was always able to tell when a white person could play an instrument. Uh, in contrast to a black person. And Prince was basically saying, oh, well, you know, No Doubt. They can do their own thing. They can't. They can't funk out. They can't improvise. They can't. They can't just do nothing on the spot. You know that was sort of like his reply. But just the way he did it, you know, it's like, come on, man. Prince was very clear with how this. And even when I worked at Paisley Park, I'm gonna say this again, and I'm just saying it just to say, it was just black people that was at Paisley Park who worked there. The staff, everybody was black. <laughs> everybody from the security. <laughs> To the person selling merch, making your food. Wow. So do you think Third Eye Girl that was, do you think that was trolling? Do you think that was a way of saying, you know, you were on top of the hierarchy for so long and now we're on top of the hierarchy in some capacity? What's your take on all this? Oh, that's a like I said, that's like putting me in the hot water. Like, all right, now let me boil you alive to see what you think <laughs> of this. Uh, I think that there was, it was parallels. I mean, Prince, you know, with Third Eye Girl, he also had the MPG. That's important to distinguish yeah. because when Third Eye Girl first came out, there was this, this big debate because he was doing Third Eye Girl stuff, but then he was also doing the MPG. And that was conflicting people because people knew that the MPG, you know, you had the 12-piece horn section. You had Andre Goucher on bass. You had um, John Blackwell on the drums. You know, it was a bigger thing. And he was carrying that around. He was, like, touring with them, just pop-up shows in 2013 and 14. And then towards, even when he had Third Eye Girl, he still had Cassandra. You know, mm-hmm. she was playing the piano. And he had Liv Warfield and Mama Say and the sisters. Uh, they were they were still in the camp. So I think with Third Eye Girl, that was kind of like, when it first came, it was just a hot, yeah, here's the rock stuff y'all want. I'm, I'm, you know, here it is, you know, but that didn't last long. That, that period, when you really look at the number chart, that was literally just for a year. 
<laughs> because wow. 2014, yeah, because 2014, that's when we saw other stuff. That's when we got mm-hmm. the MPGQ. That's when he started doing, then obviously phase, I mean, uh, Artificial Age came out. But And then when you get into 2015, then you got Liv, you got Judith Hill, you have, you know, uh, Mono Neon, Adrian. It's not just Third Eye Girl. You right. Know? Third Eye Girl, I think, was a conceptual, and this is just purely opinion. I'm not no spokesperson for nobody but myself. <laughs> and I'm just saying that I believe that that was just an entryway for him to explore that rock territory for a bit. But he was still doing other things around that. I mean, right. phase two. Hello. <laughs> Hello. You know, but Prince was a type of artist that utilized whoever was around. Hannah was mm-hmm. married to Josh. Josh was actually a producer and he played a bit of piano. So they worked together. Yeah. You know, it's like he always was going to use whatever. If you were around and you did something, if you if you were a musician, OK, let's play. Let's do something. Let's produce something. Why wouldn't he? You know, that was his mm-hmm. perspective. That's how he made an album. It wasn't about, well, you, you're not. A, you, who knows? I mean, he had Kirk was his homie. Kirk also became his drummer. Right. <laughs> Anybody who was around, it's the same with Michael uh, John Blackwell or Michael Bland or any, you know, you kind of have to do more than one thing if you're at, in Prince's Circle anyway. You tend to anyway. I think that's amazing. Yeah. I also think ultimately Prince knew the end was near. Just listening to his music, looking yeah. at him with Third Eye Girl, with other manifestations of the MPG with including Andy Allo with including Kurt in other facets Mm -hmm. of his musical world including so many people he said you know I'm passing on the torch I still may be the head here the head of the ship but I know I ain't gonna be here so I'm just here to make sure when I'm you gone, good. the ship is right. still steering. That's yeah. ultimately what I think it is. Yeah. That's what I think so, it is, too. That's the best yeah. way of, of saying it. Prince was really passing the torch his last few years. You know, he, I mean, he basically said that in 2010 when he won the Lifetime Achievement Award. Like, oh, well, the future's in good hands. You know, there are a lot of good artists that are doing what they're doing. And, I mean, and then after that, that's all he was doing. He was, pro, he was co-producing. So he co-produced Andy Allo. He did Judith Hill, you know, he he worked with different other people, just kind of like. And I mean, he allowed Josh Josh to co-produce an album, which he had never done before. So it was obviously his way of saying, I can do it on my own. You should know that already. You know, you should know I can do it on my own. And then if you even listen, oh, and even let, let me not go there. It's not anything. I'm just saying Prince always you can see. I can see what Josh did and I can see what Prince did. Prince played guitar, Prince played bass, mm-hmm. you know, and he allowed Josh to add effects around that. But he right. did the bare bones. Prince is the bare bones of tracks. Even if you listen to Ju- the Judith Hill record, that's Prince. Ooh. Come yeah. on. You hear that yeah, funk, you hear all that's That's purely Prince. But you, you also hear Judith mm-hmm. and Andre Goucher and... You know, all these other people who are around. So it's a tapestry of elements involved, you know. Right. It's never just one. So I, I don't consider, because people remember, they just were so like, oh, why is he doing this? And, uh, and it's like, you're not following Prince. This is how he always did it when he worked with people. <laughs> Sheila E., you know, anybody who was around and they did, you know, 
Come on now. <laughs> it's simple to me. It's not complicated. <laughs> I feel like we've discussed this before, but in the context of all of this, I think what Prince did was a heavy political move, not only to establish his dominance in the industry, but to say, you know, you didn't believe in me. You tried to stifle my creativity. Not only am I going to create all of these bands, but I'm going to install my personality in these bands. So someone like Sheila Escovido, she had already been in the industry. She worked with Herbie Hancock. She worked with Michael. She worked with George Duke. And then when she got with Prince, they, they put her in lace. And they did, and you saw Prince come out with her. She did a holly rock. That was Prince. Oh, that was Prince. And then when she left Prince, it was Sheila E again. So even that, is like that was his way of establishing dominance. You saw it with, with Denise or it was Vanity Six, what happened. But when she, when she did The Last Dragon, that wasn't Prince. So even, even that is just... He said, I'm going to place my personality in all of these groups. I'm going to write all the music. Yeah, I'm going to have some pseudonyms. And then I'll say, you know, Vanity wrote a song or Susan wrote a song. But that's all me. That's all and me. I'm going to show you Warner Brothers. So he's always battled with Warner Brothers and always did this step to establish his dominance. And Warner Brothers was like, okay. It was just kind of a thorn <laughs> in the side of Warner Brothers. Right, just had to it's deal with it. always that thorn in the side. Right. Whereas Michael, he played along a little bit more than Prince did. And so they played with him because he made the money. Until <laughs> Janet Jackson. I tell you, this is funny. So Janet Jackson, what was she got that $60 million deal or $40 million deal with Virgin? when she did a uh, Janet period, but then the next day, and I don't know if that was Michael who was paying attention or Sony was like, okay, we want to keep Michael because now Janet's, you know, all these companies are fighting for Janet now. And so in order to keep Michael, we ha now have to do 80 million the next day. And so I think that was a huge mistake. I think Michael should have said, Nah, man, what? You you want me to go to another company? I want $100 million. I don't know. Uh, and I know he was fighting for that $80 million, but I think he could have wrote it out a little bit more and be like, no, give me more. I don't know. And again, I don't know all the details, but not only do I think that was a competition with Janet on Michael's end, but it was a competition with Virgin on Sony's end. And this is another way that the company was establishing dominance. I don't think Michael, as much as people would like to think, I don't think Michael was establishing dominance on the end with negotiating his contracts. And they understood how much he made money for the company. Prince understood how he was important to the company. Like, you know, he didn't need them because he right. could have, again, as he did, created his own label. He had Paisley Park, but he could have just said, okay, my contract's up, I'm moving. But Michael was just like, I want to be king of pop, and I have this good relationship with Sony, then I can sort of negotiate my contract. Okay, $80 million. But they've been waiting in the wings. Like, they've been trying to keep his assets, and they have been trying to buy the portions of the ACV catalog. That's what they, yeah. that's what they that's were That's what they for. were Right. They were not friends. They were like, don't get it twisted. We yeah. want to take you for what you got. Right. You ain't supposed to have this. Right. 
he saw it clearly. And by the time he saw it, it was just almost too late because they had already set him up. So he was going to get paid, but then they were going to get paid. But it was at the expense of his labor. That's the way. And he saw it and he was like, ah, I mean, OK, ah, all right. You know, it was that kind of thing. That's why he was serious about it being the last one. Yeah, um, he was tired. He was, he was tired. I mean, it's like, man, <laughs> and I can totally understand that. Michael and Prince have both created material that reflected just this battle with um, these systematic, oppressive, you know, businesses that really control how they operate their art, how they want to share the art. Which is why I wanted them both to do Face Down together. Face why Down! <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, that's funny because it wasn't until you told me that when I was like, you know what, that would have been a good collaboration. Um, oh, because that and that, you know, what's even funnier is that year, that same year he released that. That's when Chris Rock did the interview and asked them about that Michael story. And Prince was like, oh, well, you know, I wasn't right. going to say the lyric or whatever. But that, yeah, it's the same year. So it's almost like that would have been a perfect collaboration because they're both. You know, deal. I mean, and Michael was already at this was 96, so he was still on that. Mm-hmm. He was doing it even that was his heaviest time with history, so he could have easily it would have fitted perfectly. I know, and I, I'm guessing that Prince did not consider Michael in that song. The funny thing is, with the video, a lot of people thought that was Michael in the casket. Like, first of all, what is Prince in the casket? In that casket's wearing purple. It's that Prince. should give you a it's the big same, clue. It, for you. for anybody who I Thank mean, he, it, the outfit he's wearing in it it comes Thank from you. something. So like, Thank you. from the '94 like the Come era, which is right with that's Thank what the song is in connection with. Like, Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. To me, that is the greatest Prince's dead commentary of his whole career. Are you kidding me? <laughs> but I saw people saying, "No, that's Michael. He was battling it out with Michael. That's him." What? Come yeah, on. I've seen people say that. But you could tell that was Prince. That was supposed to be Prince. That yeah. If anybody's been paying attention, you would know. <laughs> it's a whole Prince video. I mean, and then the <laughs> end, he is the grieving widow. <laughs> Thank you. He takes off the, brilliant. you know. That was yeah. brilliant. That's like, that was, and yeah. the, the fun, I don't know what it was like behind the scenes because... Yeah. It's like people making fun scenes and you have lights and everything. It's serious. But it just looked like it was so much fun to me. It make. looked like there's so much fun. I mean, they're just like Kirk Johnson, like doing the dancing and then like Prince on the violin doing the, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a funny video. It's just orchestra. Just his Orchestra. Face. Oh, his face. Yeah. And that would have been perfect if they collaborated. It would have been so perfect if they got together and talked about their troubles in the industry because that's when you really started seeing the rift between Michael and Sony. At the time, Sony didn't do any real support behind Michael when it came to these trials. So you started seeing their relationship fizzle out. And uh, Michael wasn't necessarily vocal with it, but a lot of other people were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it would have been, that was the era Prince was still cursing. To me, that is my favorite <laughs> Prince rap song. 
and that is one of the best songs where he was cursing and then of course michael was cursing around that time as well so it would have been yeah, that would have been perfect it would have been so perfect and <laughs> just, yeah the, the the very last scene when he pulls up the veil and he just looks dead into the camera and just shakes his head and then veil back yeah. down perfect yeah. that's a perfect commentary that that you could have only shown that scene and that would have told you everything. Yeah, I you know. Didn't even have to. Yeah, so you didn't even have to watch it. Yeah, that video is it's hilarious. That's <laughs> definitely a fun video. I just got to say, to me, that was proof that Prince is the most beautiful man I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> that video. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> he is literally the most beautiful man i've ever seen in my life and i'm not talking about handsome he's literally beautiful it just uh, i can't even describe it he is the <laughs> very definition of the combination of masculine and feminine he's just beautiful <laughs> and just that scene when he pulls up the veil <laughs> like what is this this man is the most beautiful man I've ever seen. Could you be? The most beautiful man. And, I, you know, there's a ton of handsome people and beautiful people. But it's what we were talking about with the, the sexiness episode. And it's not even Prince being sexy because I don't think Prince is sexy. But it's that whole spirituality emanating from him. And I think that's yeah. what creates his beauty. Because there's a lot of pretty people in the world, but they're not beautiful. There's just something about Prince that just has this light emanating from him. It's just, he's so beautiful, and I can't even describe it. It's just unbelievable. Unbelievably beautiful. That one scene, I said, okay, I'm done. I'm done. This is, I, <laughs> For those of you that who don't know, Face Down is available on YouTube. It is. It is. And just the whole video is so much fun. When he's sitting there on the therapist chair, when he's sitting there. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And then there's the performance. And I forgot about I had seen this years ago and forgot about it when he's performing on the Chris Rock show. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I had forgot about that performance. And I remember just that performance, dead like Elvis. It's just, everyone's like, what? Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think people were expecting it. Oh, and not at all. People were like, like, okay, Elvis. wait, this is the Purple Rain guy? This, wait, this is him. <laughs> That's him? <laughs> wait, is this the thing? <laughs> and everyone's just, it's like a party on the stage and I think people were just used to Prince being reserved yeah. in a lot of ways. And so when you he would do that, though. He would surprise you with something. Right. Saying, Where's that coming from? <laughs> it's in his will. Yeah. I said it. Shut the kill. Because, <laughs> yeah, he did the Love Symbol album and mm-hmm. he did all that. And so it was pretty wild. But I think there's something a little different about Face Down. And, you know, My Name is Prince or Sexy MF, all that stuff is is a bit more gratuitous in a way. But Face Down 
has a very specific message and it's not only talking about his experience but it is speaking for many others who have had the same fate in the industry and so he's not only referring to the journalist who attacked him in an article yeah i know that's what the song was referring to but it really is discussing the industry as a whole and how the industry warner brothers etc did not value his artistry and even in the beginning he's like y'all said prince can't sing and so that's right when he changed his name back to prince mm-hmm. so people are saying oh what is this oh he changed his name and oh right. he has his name and what is he doing like he, he doesn't have it anymore so he's mm-hmm. like oh y'all saying prince can't okay okay and right there that's the best mic drop prince song i've ever heard can you think of any others that is literally the best prince mic drop song that's one of his best can you think i of mean he he has a lot of uh where he's like maybe uh prince in the band okay that's definitely one of them if you mm-hmm. watch that yeah. that's on youtube too i mean you better catch Is it now who knows I don't, yeah there's a live version of that song and it's during the music yeah, yeah, I, yeah i saw that he did that when i saw <laughs> Yeah, I think that's good. Like if you watch it and listen to the story, it, it goes. You know, he's saying a lot, and mm-hmm. it's very clever, and it's a groove. It's nice. I think that's RP Funk, even the one he mm-hmm. did in 2007. Right. right. He was just like, I don't care. Wait, what did he say? I'ma still stick your face in this funk. That's a really good one. <laughs> Calling out, here he comes again gonna try to use my day <laughs> so yeah that's a good one as well i think prince's whole career was a mic drop <laughs> you know whatever <laughs> right well he was always saying something that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> he, he said he said the microphone is on it's not memorable <laughs> his whole career was a mic drop uh just you gotta pay respects to the man no matter like even if you disagreed with something he said or his music, he did what he loved to do. And as Michael said, he did it with dignity. (laughs) (laughs) Uncompromising, you have to respect that. You have to respect that even if you don't agree. (laughs) And I think Michael did what he did with dignity as well. He just Mm -hmm. had a few more uh, stones in the road that he had to jump over. (laughs) Yeah, he had a few more stones, for sure. But he did what he wanted to do as well. Many more obstacles, sadly, where he had to compromise a little bit more. But he did do what he loved to do, and that was make people happy. And uh, I think ultimately, yeah, with the ideology, is a little bit more idealistic. I really wonder how often he and Prince got together. I really, I want to be a fly on the wall for those conversations. <laughs> somebody probably, some probably probably filmed those without both their knowledge and they have it and they took it with them to their grave. I guarantee there was at least one recording of them together. And It's uh, crazy that there's nothing out right now. <laughs> it's weird that nothing. they've never been seen together ever. People have seen outside of the stage, you know, James Brown. Don't forget about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I really wanted to ask you what you thought of that. I forgot to ask you. And now we're talking about it. What did you think of that? I always say that clip is 
you know, it's like, well, Prince got to take the L on that one, you know. Because <laughs> Michael played his cards right that day. He played his cards right. He's like, I know he loves James Brown just as much as I. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give the people the soul and I love you. You know, that's so that that thing that can't, that's just Michael, you know. And I'm going to do this dance. It's going to be quick. It ain't going to last but like 15 seconds and that's it. And it blew people away. That's all you needed. He didn't have to do nothing after that. But what did he do? James Brown, you know, Prince is in the audience. You want to see what he does? See what Prince, you know, he here. And James Brown, oh, cool. All right, yeah. Guess who's in the audience, y'all? He's got Prince here, too. <laughs> the whole thing is just genius. Because Prince, whatever he wanted to do, whatever he intended, it just didn't work out. It's like... If he just played that groove, this is my idea wish, is that Prince just got on the guitar, he did a funky guitar groove, and was like, peace. That's it. I mean, because from what I understand, the guitar was a left-handed guitar, so he was already playing the guitar in a different way that he usually plays it. Mm -hmm. And so, but yeah, he made a little sound, and then he's like, all right, let me see if I can flip the mic over with my with my leg. All right. I mean, you know, and then he started being a mid- the ears like ah what you doing what you doing prince like it's not like what you's doing you're trying to evoke sex is that what you're trying to do <laughs> he's on all of these noises and and then to make it worse the mic the, the stand that he's trying to grab on is not rooted to anything so he falls over <laughs> so michael michael played his cards right i don't know what prince wanted but whatever he wanted it was like nope you fail. <laughs> but not that it was, I mean, it's funny. It's just funny to see that that's the only moment that there is of Michael and Prince on stage. That's hilarious <laughs> to me. Because Michael, you watch that clip and you see Michael, it is magical. I, like, Michael spins on point. The way his, like, his hips pop out, like, it's just crazy. Like, so, and soulful, like, ooh. And then Prince gets on stage, and it's just like, what? <laughs> There's no Prince, I dare any Prince fan to tell me that Prince outstaged Michael on stage. Any Prince fan, tell me. Tell me, tell me, and I'll shut up. But you can't. <laughs> Am I wrong? Am I lying? <laughs> Am I lying? Tell me. I'm just trying to figure what. Okay, Beverly <laughs> Theater, Beverly Theater, 19. But <laughs> what was he doing? So <clears throat> that's all I have to say. Was he on any kind of drugs? I know, because part of me felt like he was on something. You know, right. what you putting in your nose? Is that where you might go? No, I'm just saying. I just feel like. It must have been, he was nervous for one, because we already know Prince has been very clear that James, just like, that's what I love about James Brown, because when you look at James Brown, you can imagine how Michael and Prince, when they saw James Brown, what that must have been for them. Like they saw this electric man, like that man, James Brown was pure fire, right? Like this man is moving, he's on the, like he's just saying random words, the way he is like, (laughs) He's a machine, you know, like they're just inspired. So that's who they're seeing on stage. So, of course, they're like in love. Right. So Michael's in love. Prince is in love, you know, 
So you're getting just nervousness because you don't want to be, you don't want to look stupid, you know, but you also want to be at the top of your game. So Prince is a musician, you know, ultimately, whatever you say about Prince is that man is a musician. He's a performer too, but the way he performs is highly contingent on the music. Right. In a scenario like that, like I said, the best thing he could have did was do a jam. Like, I mean, take it there. You do like a weird, you know, you you, you do a little crowd interaction with the guitar, kind of like the ride, you know, do some funky shit, then you do a solo, and right. you cut it out. That's <laughs> it. You can't do nothing else. Because, see, James Brown, he wasn't, he was, that's what Michael, and you can see when you look at Michael, you can see James Brown, because James Brown would dance. He would right. sometimes tap on the piano sometimes, but in general, he was a performer. You know, same with Michael. And they can give you something quick and it'll last. That's why when Michael got on stage, he didn't have to do much. He didn't do hardly nothing. He just sang a little line. He spun around and that's it. But it worked. You can't tell me it didn't work. I would watch that clip just to see that performance. I knew Prince wasn't doing nothing that would excite me. But Michael, he just like, whoop. And James and look how fun everyone like Mike James Brown is in love with it. He's like, oh my, right. look at look at Michael, look at look at him. That's that's look my boy. That's, that's my, my boy. boy. Look at him. Look at him. <laughs> and Prince is like, well, I can play the guitar. Is that use? I agree with you. He should have just yeah. stayed in the pocket. He should have stayed in the, in the pocket and stayed in the lane. You can't yeah. do, you can't compete with, and I'm going to say this too. I'm going to even add more salt to the to the burn to y'all Prince fans if you're mad. <laughs> he cannot compete with Michael dancing. Prince was not a dancer. Ooh. Prince would flare. He was a flare. He was like a pixie fairy. <laughs> so there are things with Prince. He'll play guitar and you'll just see him. He's like, wow, where is he? Is he Willy Wonka right now? Is he a unicorn? Is he a, a skyscraper? Is he whatever? You know, he was like that type of dancer, like the way he moved. He was always like, you know, in the groove. But that's a whole different thing from knowing how to spin around on point and then pop your hips in a way where, you know, your eyes are looking at the hips and then your knees and all. That's what Michael would do. Michael was a gymnast, okay? You can't compare that. And Michael did what he needed to do to set the law, you know, to let you know. Well, I think Michael, he was the aspect of James Brown, which kept the mystery of the performance. Yeah. Again, yeah. the Tammy yeah. show performance. That's Michael. Yeah. yeah. So he did the spins. He did the backslide, the moonwalk. He, he gave you all of what you needed. Footwork. He gave you what you needed, and then he sang. And he did these pop, popping the lock in. He did a lot of subtle moves, staccato moves. But at the same time, it was smooth. There it are people smooth, who right. attempt to dance like Michael, and it just comes out staccato. <laughs> yeah, very hard pressed, and yeah, exactly. you just look like you're a machine, but. Michael had a fluidity with his body. It was so smooth. Like, you cannot watch that and be like, wow. Like, he didn't even do... And then again, I watched that clip so many times. It's like, he didn't even do much. No, he, didn't he didn't do much. It was literally just boop, 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 and then boop, and then whoo. It's like, wow. It was that's magical. That's it was magical. 
Yeah. So that's the part of James Brown that he took. And yeah. with Prince, Prince took the athleticism of James Brown yeah, and the right. showmanship of the James showmanship. Brown. The showmanship. So Duke he took the splits. Right. He took all of that. But it was also the focus on the band. So while Prince was doing splits and jumping off pianos and all that, the band was playing. <laughs> the band so that's was the playing. aspect of yeah. James Brown, whereas with Michael, James Brown also wanted you to keep your eyes on his feet. Yes. And that's what Michael said. He said when the camera person took the camera off of James Brown's feet, he wanted to throw the TV. Right, right. He's right. like, <laughs> no, you keep, you keep the camera on his feet. I want to see what right. you're doing. So James Brown understood that element. He understood all of it. And that's why when he sang, it didn't matter to some people what he said because it was about the groove. Ain't it? It was about the groove. It didn't matter. Exactly. It don't matter what he's saying. <laughs> Any folk machine, tech machine, do it. You like, uh, uh, yeah, whatever. The way I like it is the way it is. The way I like it is the way it is. I got mine. He got his. Shit. Don't worry about him. Get over yeah, that's that's that was James, you know. So it worked with whatever. So I mean, you're right though. Prince did. That's one thing he mastered well, which is that he knew he was always listening. You see, mm-hmm. always. If the band, there's a performance of John Blackwell going into shush right before the solo, like maybe five seconds before, but it was enough. <laughs> and he told the story. He was like, Prince was like, don't ever do that again. <laughs> oh. <laughs> don't do it. You're not the star. Don't do it. <laughs> he said he cried after that. He was like, Man. "Wow." He thought he was trying to surprise Prince. Like, nope, don't do that. Don't do wow. that. <laughs> wow. Well, this is the other thing because when you're talking about the idea of improvisation, Prince, yes, it was very crafted how he did a show, but mm-hmm. no two shows were the same. Whereas yeah. you look at a Michael show, that's yep. the aspect you also got from James Brown. It was like the ad libs were always in a particular place. Right. The mm-hmm. what he sang was always like when he said "I love you," it was always in the same place. Mm-hmm. Up top, it was always there, yeah. and that's what he got. But Prince, you didn't know. Like it would have, mm-hmm. he would do the same tour. It was like maybe one or two songs were the same, but they weren't in the same place. They weren't in the same place. Oh yeah, change lyrics. Change lyrics, change the the whole arrangement of the song. That's what made him very exciting because as a bootleg collector, uh, (laughs) not someone who buys, I don't buy bootlegs, but I I have a couple of bootlegs and, you know, he would do that. There'd be some songs he'll say, you know, it goes usually this way and then he'll, like a good example is the song Guitar. You know, usually he's like, the, the lyric is, you know, if I write a letter when I learn how to spell, Till that day, you can go to, and then right. usually say heaven, you know. That's usually right. what he, heaven. But then I saw this one bootleg where he says hell. I was like, oh, shit, oh, he must have been angry right. that day. Yeah. Really? It was in Paris. He was like, you can go to hell. And it was this huge guitar solo afterwards. Like, oh, well, he was really feeling that one that time. Wow. I, I appreciate that. Because <laughs> it's like, I ain't giving you what you thought. I'm going to give you something different. And only for you, you know. I wanted to actually address the song God. I know we were talking about whether or not he was performing it. There was a performance. He has this conversation. I want to know what you think about that. I actually 
wrote down the text. I listened to it and wrote it Feel down. Feel free to read it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he, he goes, am I qualified? The thunderous guitar, which is supposed to be God. He says, man, give me a break. I just try to have fun with these people. There's more thunderous guitar. He said, I know I said it'd be good, but they dig it when I'm bad. And of course, the crowd's like, <laughs> <laughs> thunderous guitar. He goes, all right, all right. And then he plays the song God. And then at the end, he goes, who screamed? Was it you or was it you? Do you know who you are? Then it doesn't matter who screamed first. Did it matter who ate up the apple first? He says, what are you looking at? Oh, yeah. If I gave it to you, what would you do with it? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) I know you better than you think I do. There's this purple suspicion that's in my mind. I think he said that's in my mind. Mm -hmm. That you and I are not alike. Always in six. And so that's the whole thing you have to interpret in the Prince Code. So he either says always in six or in more ways than six. So he's clearly referring to seven. But then there's the six. Right. And uh, so that's why I'm thinking he's saying in more ways than six, because I think he is referring to seven. But he says, can yeah. you relate? What's the difference between life and death? God. And he <laughs> says, yes, I believe in you. Yes, I trust you. Yes, I'll be good. Do you want to spend the night? <laughs> right. Can you take a bath with me? <laughs> <laughs> and then there's So... I'm wondering what your interpretation of that. I have an interpretation. It may not even be what his intent was. Well, but, to me, yeah, yeah. I've, all, I've always interpreted that, you know, Prince uses those parallels a lot, sex and God, you know, the congregation and, or even, you know, listen to a song like Come where he's like, you know, as long as you wash between your soul, you know, you're not, it's not just explicit. It's like you're washing, you're cleansing, you're purifying right. anytime you're, you know, marrying the two. So I feel like I I mean, and then I also think Prince, like in the same way as I and a lot of other kids who were raised in a very religious household, he was in the beginning of his career very afraid of being too sinful, you know, because of the thoughts he had around sex, how that made him feel about his identity and all of that, because he was raised, I mean, I'm sure everyone knows this, but he was raised as a seven day Adventist. And they're pretty strict when it comes to fornication, you know, and all of that and having sex and masturbating and, you know, just this idea of being porno. And as a guy exploring that, I'm sure he felt conflicted in some of it. That's why I found it interesting that he included that because he knew that people wanted him to be just, you know, ooh, yeah, take off your shirt. Ah, let me see. Ooh, you know, all of that. Where he's like, well, you know, but I still believe in love. I still believe in God. I believe in. You know, I can do both. He was totally a definition of you can still believe in something and give somebody something else that doesn't corrupt what you believe in. Because right. he had a way he still he was very um, strict in how he approached different things. And usually how he comes in dreams is very strict, like just this, you know, no, this is the way it goes. You know, very sure about his direction. But he opened up to all of it, the contradiction was always still honored. So I feel like that was just that song or that, you know, leading up to God. He's like, hey, I can be carnal, but I can also be in love and I can also recognize the source. I'm going to trust this. He's always trusted. Anytime he signed autographs, he always signed it, love God. 
Mm-hmm. He never was, you know, and then he might very rarely did he put his name, he put the symbol, but um, and even the symbol means I love you, you know. So it's like right. all of it was just love, just this universal love thing. I think the the thing I respect about Prince massively is the idea that spirituality and political thought, political ideology, political action can merge and people love Jesus, they love to praise Jesus, but they do not honor the teachings of Jesus. If you want to look at spirituality and political thought, political ideology and political action, I think Jesus was a perfect example. (laughs) People even attributed Jesus to being a socialist. I could roll with that, obviously. Just even in songs on many of his albums, if you look at the Rainbow Children, if you look at Artificial Age, if you look at many of his albums, there is that merging where it's a sign from God to not adhere to the systems of exploitation. I think those messages were emanating from his music and the merging of the spiritual and the political, I don't see talked about a lot. And the contradictions you're talking about, I think were very absolute in this commentary for God. So when he's saying, am I qualified? Uh, I think that is a conversation with God. Am I qualified to be sending these messages to the people? At the same time, God is not necessarily pleased because you're focusing too much on the carnal right now. And he says, I'm just trying to have fun with the people. It's, it's not that it's my main message. I'm just trying to have fun. That's what they want. I know I'm trying to be good, but oh, silly man! You know, they like it when I'm bad. So <laughs> what, where where do I stand with you? Like, what's going on? <laughs> you know? And he says, "All right." And <clears throat> he says, "Okay, enough, enough being carnal. I'm going to tell you the message of God." And then the who screamed? Uh, it doesn't matter who screamed first. I think that's really important because it it doesn't matter. We're all sinners. I think that's the message he was giving. It didn't matter who ate up the apple first because we're all sinners. And so his conversation with God is being like, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. I'm trying to please you in the best way I can, but I'm here on earth as well. And I'm tempted in so many ways. Listen to the audience. What am I supposed to do? And he goes, what are you looking at? Oh, yeah, because they're like, "Ah, I love you. I want you, Prince. He's like, if I gave it to you, what would you do with it? And I'm like, ah! <laughs> he says, "I know, I know you better than I think you do, and this is why I really think that this is the level of Prince being a, a rainbow child. I really think that he is beyond any interpretation of sexuality that we think of in relation to the lower vibrational energies. He's even in this commentary, I think he's just way beyond that. He says." I know you better than than you think I do. Is like, yeah, basically you're a mere mortal. <laughs> I don't think he's saying that. It's no, like, you're right. only thinking about the carnal. I'm thinking about the merging of of the spiritual and the sexual. You're just thinking about having sex with me. Uh, I'm not about that. Uh, and so I have this purple suspicion that you and I are not alike. I think that's what he's referring to. Like I'm on this other level spiritually when it comes to sex. You're on a lower level, not necessarily saying I'm better than you. Just like you got to get up to my level for us to understand each other. 
can you relate? People think they can relate because he's talking about sex. And he's like, no, you cannot. <laughs> What's the difference between life and death? And God, like, his answer I thought was very succinct. And I think if people do not follow Prince or spirituality, I don't think they will understand what that means. And people go, life and death, well, one, you're alive, and the other one, you're not. It's like, uh, no, he's not even speaking about that. He's speaking about spirituality. And I don't know how many people understood that when they heard that for the first time. If you believe in God, according to Prince, if you follow God's law, that's life. If you don't, that's death. And I think people are like, wait, what does he mean? God, wait, God, what? wait uh, life you're alive and death you're not like what are you saying prince but he's saying if you believe in god and god's law that's life and i honestly don't think that's code i think some some of what he's saying is code but that right there i don't think that's code that's that's his spiritual beliefs and he's been really consistent in that and i don't understand why people are saying well, when he became a Jehovah's Witness, that's when he started proselytizing. He's he's always done that. He was always doing that. I'm gonna say, people, yeah. ten years in his career, he was saying he was making the audience say, "God is love, is God, exactly. God is love." I mean, he was very. Exactly. I mean, in Purple Rain, his biggest album, or even his first tour, you know. <laughs> hey, <laughs> he was always, you know, speaking of himself in a spiritual sense. So consider that. Yeah. But yeah. But the merging of the spiritual and the political money don't matter tonight is a perfect mm-hmm. example of that. And now we're getting into the political songs after yeah. twenty million hours. But <laughs> we have to get started on them. But it all before. gets to it all gets to a main point eventually. And you already know me, it takes twenty million hours to get to my main point. So. <laughs> <laughs> but to have the merging of the spiritual and the political was evident in songs like that. To have the element of the music video or short film in Michael Jackson's world <laughs> to have this merging of the performance because there were two versions of it and there was both both were directed by Spike Lee and I think one was a montage of clips without prints in them and the other one was half and half if I recall you had different scenarios of families living in poverty people on the bread line people just trying to make it and you have prince in a lot of ways who is a griot just telling the stories of the people narrating this understanding that all the money in the world you can profit you can make all this money but what are you going to do with it in the end consciously how is your soul i think the song was perfectly put (laughs) that it's a perfect example of that merging and i think it's prince at his best is prince ultimately in what he wanted to do in merging those things absolutely <laughs> and so we have songs we spoke on a lot of the songs earlier we can add to that list what's your give me your three more of your the songs that you really feel have been neglected um that we didn't talk about i wish we oh had my that. goodness 
Oh, colonize mine. I would like to address that one. Yeah. <laughs> I was listening to that one recently too. Um, yeah, that's that's a good one right there. <laughs> I would think this even using the words colonize mine. He's speaking about the two-party system, of course, and how people continue to think the lesser of two evils is going to be an attempt at changing anything. People are cautious and that it's not going to, but they still somehow have hope that tweaking the system in some way is going to change things. Prince is saying, no, it's all a lie. In order to change the system, we need to do away with it. I think that it was a brilliant song. You always say the the system is designed to work the way it works. We got to come up with something new. You know, that's what the whole thing about Colonized Mind is. You upload and you download. Love it. Here's an idea and then you download (laughs) that idea. But then by doing that, you're a part of, you know, that system. Illusion of choice. He talks about their form of fascism. Nothing changes. You never had a voice, you know, because they tell you, oh, if you do this, then you'll get that. And it doesn't. No. I mean, there are ways of. I mean, he sort of said the same thing in Dreamer where he's like, everyone's in a race to what? Where are we going? You know, like we're doing the same thing and no one's going anywhere differently because nothing is really changing. You know, because the one in power makes law. The one who's at the top is, all right, this is what's going on. And then everybody underneath that, for the most part, you know, follow along with it. Mm-hmm. And everyone just is just like, oh, well, that's what I... And in a, in a way, it's a criticism of just the mind, because to some degree, we're all kind of colonized to different forms of thinking. The propaganda that's just given. And it's not until <clears throat> you start asking yourself the questions that you need where you're able to fully break free from it, because a lot of times people don't even realize that they're colonized by or hijacked based off of what society tells them and they're just leading or they're following a path that was set by somebody else yes i know (laughs) and the merging of the spiritual and political straight up says without god it's just blind leading the blind and so it's just yeah people without knowledge you know cannot uh, move forward in their liberation and I think that's the ultimate message of the song so it's consistent with other songs say money don't matter tonight is your soul all right are you all right with God because if you're not you can move forward but you're not going to be grounded in anything and it, I just love his references to downloading and uploading I think it was brilliantly done Given around that time, he was also uh, having the struggles with the internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so for him to utilize that, I thought yeah. that was brilliantly done. It was just like, you know, upload the master race, the you know, fallacy. <laughs> and so, you know, he's saying like all these things are being uploaded, and then all of these things which are positive to the people are being downloaded. Right, they're being downloaded. That's the right. deal. So it's like, even when he talks about just record companies, you know, a joint venture record deal, another way for them to 
steal, you know, sticking you with the bill. Temporary acquisition, you get fleeting fame and fortune, but you have nothing to give for that. You know, people want that, though. I think a lot of people want that temporary, that five minute of fame people have been chasing for a while now. You know, just being at the top. But then what you do when you when you when you're there, you know, I think it's another one of those simple songs of Prince that are they're deceptively simple, but really complex in subject matter and arrangement. I think Money No Matter Tonight works in the same way. 2045 Radical Man. Yeah, I was listening to that one recently, too. (laughs) That one had me going. He's all he said, listen, and I remember. I would just say, we claim Miles Davis and not Michelangelo. <laughs> we plan to fly in the boat. Better act like you know. We don't care what Albert Einstein did. Uh, wanna know, wanna know how they built the pyramid. Hey, James Brown took me and did it. <laughs> Turn me up loud enough. I don't think y'all, he was going off, like, I'm like, whoa. And I remember being on the Oregon, people criticized the song so bad. They're like, what? what are you trying? Yeah, because they're like, it was an ignorant statement for him to say, you know, we don't care what Albert Einstein did. And I think that statement in itself, people need to understand. I think he was really just being radical. Like, yeah, I'm going to say this too. Yeah, this. I know you love, right. I'm going to say yeah. it, I'm going to say it. Right. I don't think he was really saying disregarding what Albert Einstein contributed to physics and science. He was basically just saying, we hear so much about him, but what about, he's just saying, you know, we're not hearing fully, we're not giving the real history. Yeah, he was going on a lot of conspiracy lanes in this song, though, because he's talking about Holocaust (laughs) Avenue 2009. Now, this song was released in 2004. Right. I think it was recorded even before that, so... um, yeah, so he's talking. Oh, yeah, this is 2045 Radical Man. That's the one I always tell people to listen to because he's very clear. And, um, yeah. It's like, you want to talk about Albert Einstein, but most of those people probably don't know who Louis Latimer is, for instance. That's what uh-huh. Prince was referring yeah, to. Yeah, that's who he's referring to. Who? Like, what about the almanac? He's like, what about uh-huh. the almanac? Louis Latimer, talk about Albert Einstein. You know, that's what Prince was referring to, not yeah. to discount any knowledge about Albert Einstein. People need to stop being reactionary and understand Prince spoke in code. He spoke in code all the time. <laughs> I mean, he was oh, always yeah. about just, and then he wanted to show, you know, he's talking about the ones that wore suits and buy and sell corporations with only one thing there in mind, the is. destruction of the so-called, who's the radical man? The the person who goes against that, mm-hmm. you know, usually it's the person who comes, it's the person who's just being oppressed by capitalism, usually too. Exactly. Flashback was 1999 and the world shot full of profits. How did y'all stay alive? And viruses, depending on this so-called man, for everything you got coming from his hand, food, water, the clothes you wear. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> that's a good one. There's yes. some other songs I wrote down, too. Hold on. So we got Radical Man. Dear, dear Mr. Man. Dear Mr. Man. <laughs> See, I was preparing for the podcast. I heard that one, too. You know, with that one, he's just, he's just going in. He's using the constitution as a reflection of right. you know what they use they say oh we all this all this but you got a problem you know we can't understand people still struggling you know he's he's really 
Ain't no assistance in AIDS. No. Yeah. He's on that same thing of when will see Prince had the his political perspective I think is most mostly summed in when will we be paid? Mm. You know, and Black Muse along too. I mean, right. those are his approach was also like, you know, look at all of what we did, what we getting from in it. You know, what are we going to get anything? I mean, I'm sure he knew that they weren't going to give you nothing. I mean, it'd be barely yeah, you he, didn't get the he knew that. You know, he's just <laughs> It's just still like, don't act as if this came from your, you didn't do none of this. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't, you're not knowing, you're not the creator. You know, it's just like what he says in Golden Parachute, mm-hmm. you know, someone who had nothing to do with it, in essence, a fraud, you know, and yet you're trying to get the profits from it. Exactly. You know? so. Exactly. And I think um, a song like Act of God has, yeah, that's even the same message. Yeah, where you're you're stealing land, you're exploiting labor, people are and you born, get tax break it, for it, you get tax paid break for, for it, it. Right. call like, it an act of God. Right. Like, so his messages were consistent, and I don't understand once again how people could say, "Oh, he was universal in thought and he mm. appealed to everybody." It's very clear he did not. No, he didn't. Because this this is the stuff he would say and he had trouble for. See, remember, this was released. You got to think of the time. So I'm going back in history and I'm looking at the forum boards when he will release songs like that. You should read what the people are saying when he released 2045 at Radical Man. And people are like, oh, what are you doing? Why is he being like this? Oh, and is he saying the word? And oh, and, and he. Yeah, he is. Wow. This is what he thought. People had a problem with him talking about. People like Dick Gregory and, you know, Lotus Flower was an album where he was really telling people. He was um that interview with Tavis Smiley, mm-hmm. you know, where he was like, you know, well, I, I have this on. I always have this played, especially white folks. I want them to see, you know, <laughs> what their, you know, what this idea is. He wasn't he wasn't playing around, and, which leads me into something I said to you earlier. This is completely off the topic in a sense, but it verifies just how Prince was very vocal about the things he didn't agree with or that he had an issue with. So mm. Tatiana. Oh, Tatiana Thompson. Yes. Thompson. Tatiana Thompson. So she was the quote love interest. Uh, I wouldn't even call it that, but I wouldn't call it that either. For sake of simplicity, <laughs> because we had that discussion in an early episode. She was the quote love interest in the way you make me feel, yes. Yes. Tatiana and Thompson. She, you know, during a time that was very hard for Michael you know, she talked to some tabloids about, <laughs> you know, the allegations of child molestation and all of that. And she, you know, Prince reached out to her. And there's a printout where she says, and I quote, Prince and I lost touch for about four years. We met by chance one night at a club and started talking about an interview I had given to the star tabloid during the scandal involving Michael Jackson and the underage boy. Prince was upset that I had spoken to the tabloid. He attacked me for my comments and was especially bothered by a line that quoted me as saying that Michael Jackson would never get married. He shouted, did you need the money that bad? (laughs) Are you that poor (laughs) and that broke that you sell your story to the tabloid? (laughs) So that just shows, you know, it's like, what are you doing? Like, I saw something you said. Like, why are you need? Why are you talking to these people? Are you that desperate for attention? Right. Why do you think the marriage line bothered him so much, according to her statement? 
And I need to know what she said because I don't know. I was that's the piece that needs to come back to. I need to see what she said in regards to Michael being married, because then that would help me understand what he could have possibly meant, because I don't know. That's very important. I need to see Tatiana, what she said about Michael. Um, and then uh, Prince and Tatiana, they used to date. That's the one thing I have heard. I, have I did heard hear that. that. I, don't know if it's true. I don't know how true that is. I'm not going to deny it. Although I'm a possibility with Prince. Whatever she said in regards to him being married or whatever, I think he was mostly just upset that she had to go to the press because that reflected badly on her. It just showed it told him that you're not trustworthy or that you're not like you. You can't really call this dude your friend if you're going to talk to people who he hated. You know, he hated Michael hated the press. Okay, he was very clear that the press was the enemy and that you shouldn't don't believe none of it. I mean, a lot of it, of course, he was still accountable for creating the scenarios that they would exploit. But at the same token, he didn't want if you're talking to the press, that just tells him that you're not down because you could mm. talk to me for it instead. So Prince, I think Prince was just more so bothered that she was that desperate. He looked at it as the money thing because I'm sure she got paid for it. Of course, they, they, I mean, they pay. That's what they do. They'll yeah. give you a check. I mean, you are around. So you obviously see Michael in ways we don't. So can you tell us something? That's how they did it. They probably, you know, hey, can you, we'll give you 25000 if you tell us if you saw Michael do or say whatever. And she did it. And that told Prince, that was basically Prince saying, okay, well, you must, either you desperate for money or something, something wrong. Isn't Tatiana the same person who has spoken about being in love with Michael to this day, though? Tatiana has go? an Instagram account dedicating all her Instagram to Michael now. She, Are you serious? She's always sharing, oh, I remember when he when he did this, and yeah, she's still caught in between that memory frame. From last I know. I could, wow. this, is, this is, I don't know now, and I can check right now to see if she's still doing that. I mean, that's her whole game. It's just kind of like, wow. Okay. <laughs> and I... I see you! <laughs> I don't knock her for doing that. People have fan fiction about Michael Jackson. I'm not going to knock people for doing that. But if you claim to love him and you have this whole fantasy about it and you go to the media talking about this very sensitive issue, how could you love him and how could you claim to be friends with him? And see, I can't even see what she has on Instagram because she has a private account. And I am not that serious to be following. I don't know. So... (laughs) <laughs> but from last, but I'm pretty sure I'm still consistent in that that she's still doing that because that just wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> wow, that is really bad. I wonder what year that was she went to the tabloids. Yeah, I wonder too. I wonder if it was in the. From my last understanding, Michael didn't. I mean, after that, they didn't really keep in contact like that. Mm-hmm. Wow, maybe that's why. <laughs> but that's just something, right, exactly, maybe that's why, because again, <laughs> you know, you just do reductive reasoning. That's what Prince, he was the type to do reductive reasoning. Like, why are <laughs> you speaking to somebody <laughs> who you know he has a problem? Like, that just says, like, are you that desperate? Like, do you need money like that? Like, why would you do that? He was the type, like, if you got beef with somebody, or if you got, like, you don't ever handle it that way. Because then that just says that you don't really care. (laughs) 
Do you think that was his way of defending Michael, or do you think he was just looking? I think in a way he was probably both. Mm-hmm. I think you know he was very, um, and I have no doubt that Prince reached out to Michael around the time he was being accused of any of that. Like, I think he was a type to just send out his respect in a way that what that didn't include him in it because he didn't want to mm-hmm. be a, so, so he would so I'm sure he did on his private time so maybe he did see that maybe he was in who knows the scenario where he saw that she said it but he heard it and it probably pissed him off because uh-huh. you know again that, to me it does imply that he was looking out for Michael mm-hmm. because he wouldn't have said I mean why would he bring that up if it didn't mean anything I feel like he it rubbed him the wrong way because even looking at it from an objective perspective, whatever she said seemed to imply that Michael was not in a favorable light. <laughs> which makes her look like she <clears throat> is an opportunist. Mm-hmm. Which she is, if she's, if or was, when she said that thing. Because why you got to talk to the media about it? If that's how you even felt, why you have to talk to the media about it? Mm-hmm. That's the whole deal. Like, why are you interacting with people who are gonna twist you so even if you didn't say anything wrong they're gonna twist it to imply that you are I I didn't know anything about this situation until you told me at one point as I mentioned a few minutes ago I said let her have her fun after knowing about that I there's just something very off about this person (laughs) that she would continue to create this narrative that mm-hmm. she and Michael yeah. are in love and, and then do that. It's kind of like Cat Glover. Oh, did Cat did Cat do that too? Well, Cat implied that her and Prince had something going on. Yeah. Oh. I mean, it's just I'm mentioning her only because there are people, and I don't even have to be specific with people because. It's a clear thing that people who are socialized with those who, if they had an experience with someone. You know, you meet some people who like, oh, yeah, this experience was X, Y, Z. And then you meet that one person like, well, you know, there was also something you didn't know. And I'm not going to share it because it means a lot to me. But you You know what I mean? Like, there's going to always be that one person like, oh, it was more than that. Trust me. And who knows if it's true or not. But it definitely says something about their state of mind when they think of their experience with that person mm-hmm. you know because people can literally create the, these fantasies and it may be true it may not be but it's like what are you why are you still there and you're using that as a way of you know what I mean? <laughs> you know like dang, like if you had that then cool but why are you still right. talking about it what are you doing <laughs> wait did she get banned from paisley park like maite did though I don't even believe Mighty got banned from Paisley Park. Someone said that, but I don't know oh. how true that is. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was even kind of coughed up. I think their way of just, uh, and that's, see, that's the messy side to it that I don't care. It's like, eh, uh, yeah. I don't, I really don't think Mighty was banned. I don't think, I don't think any of these people we're talking about are those who we're not even talking about are <laughs> guilty of anything besides saying, oh, well, you know, because that's just how personality, that's how humans can be. Some, not everybody, but there's some, there's always, you can't have that kind of impact on everybody and not expect to have somebody say, well, you know, we did this too. I mean, that's, that doesn't make it true, but it does make me worry about the future of me. That's why, like I just said just now, I know not to follow her, 
Because the last time I did, that's the kind of images I was getting. And it's like she kept just, oh, and this thing happened. And, you know, it's like, okay. Hey, what, 30 years ago? <laughs> oh, no. You know, like it happened a long time ago. What are you doing now? Speaking of impact, I want to get your view on Pop Life. I think it was yes, all right. a little bit of a laugh at everything that was going on, particularly the end. It's kind of a little wink and a nod, like face down, because mm-hmm. the very end of the song, there's audio of when Prince opened up for the Rolling Stones and everyone hated him. Yeah. So that whole thing's like, get off the stage! Get off the stage! <laughs> exactly. It's clearly a little wink and a nod, but the first part of the song... What do you interpret that as? Is that a political commentary? Is that a, a commentary about someone in his own life? What do you see it? I think it's both, as all the lyrics tend to be. There's definitely some political commentary, and he's kind of just talking about the nature of what is just this pop life anyway. You know, because you know the chorus itself. You know, everybody needs a thrill. You know, mm-hmm. we all got a space to fill. Everybody can't be on top. But we still want that. You know, it's just that competition to that. I mean, even, and that's just a dig, I think, at, I mean, this is my interpretation. It may not be fully a dig at capitalism or just the idea of consumerism or just getting rewarded for something that don't really matter. Like the glitter. Like, it's almost like the notification. Like, if you are invested in social media, or let's say you put out a video and you get a lot of feedback, you know, that reward system, that, that like that oh someone's listening and they like it that's that pop life you know it feels good it's a thrill it's a space you know you feel but and, and you kind of want and then that but to some degree it can get out of hand and then you chase it then it ain't funky yeah. then you chasing it then you can't you realize <laughs> you can't get at the top and then you're just looking like you're trying to and even where it's like you know what you're putting in your nose mm-hmm. like what you smoking what you you know you're doing crack you're doing what you're trying to you really trying to be high now you want to just be, I love pop life because I think it's just a good commentary of, it's a, it's kind of like, it's kind of how life is in a way, especially, at least for me, it feels that way in a way where it's like, you want to do things, but you don't want to be too high. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to know, you got to make sure it's not really funky unless it's got that pop, but the pop is not what you chase. It's kind of just the, where you're comfortable at, where you're not. And in an extended version, he goes even further, where he's like, everybody wants satisfaction. You need a chemical reaction. You know? <laughs> um, so I've always thought it was a dig at also, you know, the poverty, because sometimes if you don't have nothing, that creates the hustling mentality. So if you yeah. don't have nothing, there are people who will do crazy things to get what they want because they don't have nothing. They'll hustle. They'll do things that are even compromisable to ethics that are not even probably what you would think you should do to get what you want but that's what happens you know if you feel like man where's my million dollar check and then somebody else's box somebody else got it and they don't got nothing they don't have to even do nothing to get it there are people who got money who just inheriting they didn't have to do nothing <laughs> to get it Rothschild families families and they say oh well nepotism isn't a sin or nepotism nothing wrong with nepotism it's like yeah but you didn't have to do nothing i'm having to work five of just to make it meet and i might be left with twenty dollars to spend on some a bag of weed if i get lucky 
and you get mad at me. <laughs> Life ain't really funky. Let's just got that pop. But the addition of the crowd, I found it interesting. Yeah, it was good. I do all, think yeah, exactly. It's, it's a nod to when Prince wasn't on top. Prince still. I think Prince that was, was a on nod top to, of. That's a good. That? I'm glad you mentioned that because when he added that in, mm-hmm. I think that was a way of him saying. Because he knew he was great even then, mm-hmm, but right. they didn't like it. It wasn't popular, you know. <laughs> but then once everyone else started getting it, it's like, oh, he's not that bad, you know. He ain't that bad. It's like, oh, he's good. So he was like, kind of making fun of just like everyone, you know. They didn't like it, but then when you're at the top, then they like it. I don't know. It's, right. It's, uh, yeah. But, you think and the river of addiction flows. You think it's hot, but there won't be no water when the fire blows. It's like mm-hmm. that. That's the answer right there. Like the river of addiction flow. You can do a various things. You can be addicted to the fame, addicted to the actual drug you're taking, addicted to the the experience. But once that's over, because you're gonna reach a point. I mean, keep in mind this was around the world in the day. This was right after Purple Rain. Right. So he knew even then. And I remember a story that I don't remember who told it, but they said Prince, this was right when he knew it was like him and Vanity. They were like underneath some table and he was like, oh, I already this is going to this is life changing. Like my life will never be the same after this. Like he just knew then after the reaction of Purple Rain that it did, like he was at the top and he was like, just be he's like, savor it because it will never be this again. And it wouldn't and it wasn't. And so. He kind of helped himself by just doing the radical anyway, because people didn't know what the hell they were getting with around the world. It was nothing <laughs> like Purple Rain. It was psychedelic, kind of weird and not funky, but yet funky. You know, all of these conversations with God, temptation. Mm-hmm. You know, we mentioned that song or we mentioned uh, God, but temptation. That's what God became like that little intro, that conversation. Oh, silly man, you have to love her for the right reasons. And right. You know, all of that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so he was already kind of like battling with that. I'm at the top, but yet people, I know I will never be Purple Rain, and people are gonna right. always want me to go back to that. Mm-hmm. And they still did. They did. If you were willing to follow along, he didn't stay there. And he gave us other <laughs> songs that were still relevant. Cinnamon Girl, Mars. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about that one? Um, and then, Darling Nikki, which. That is the pinnacle of political. (laughs) That is what started this whole thing. (laughs) Because and that one is it's funny because because Purple Rain, you know, there this this album is not, you know, I guess I mean I wasn't alive in 1983, so or 84, so I didn't know that it was. I mean, because when you listen to Darling Nikki, it's a story. It's just a Mm -hmm. story of a girl who has a good time in a magazine with a magazine who's, you know, but he's using words like masturbating and you couldn't say that, you know, <laughs> it just shows you what we're taught about sexuality. Like you can't even use the word masturbate without <gasps> magazine and she's grinding. Oh my goodness. You know? <laughs> so that led Tipa Gore's wife or Tipa Gore. That's her name, right? Am I Al Gore's wife. Right? Yeah, Al Tipa Gore's Gore. wife. Tipa yeah. Mm-hmm. To fund What's the company? You can probably go. So, Tipper Gore, 
saw her daughter listening to Darling Nikki and heard the lyrics, was in shock, clutched her pearls, and co-founded the PMRC, the Parents Music Resource Center, thus having the stickers on the labels. I still have the question, I guess her daughter wasn't listening to the Dirty Mind album because I feel like that album <laughs> was dirtier than Purple Rain. Right? She was a bit four years too late. I wonder what she would have thought she heard head. <laughs> or sister. Or sister. <laughs> or party that up or anything. Right. That could have banned her from the, like, you talking about, it's, again, it's the word masturbating. Because I remember when I first heard the word, I didn't know what it meant either. It sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? Masturbating? <laughs> then when you find out what it is, it's like, <gasps> how could you? She's turning herself on. Girls are not allowed to do that. <laughs> so they, they, I didn't mean to turn you on. Oh, that song. Oh, don't get me started. All right. <laughs> but yeah. That was the inspiration to found the PMRC, which I think it's funny because people have this debate about liberals versus conservatives, Democrats versus Republicans, but Al Gore was a Democrat, if I recall, Super Gore was his wife. So you look at these policies that are created, in many cases, the Democrat policies are far more insidious because people don't expect it. It's a what is it? Pay attention to what's uh, coming from the left. That's, mm-hmm. that's exactly in reference to that, I truly think. But the PMRC, you had the stickers, then Two Live Crew had a major lawsuit based on censorship. They won the case. They had the song banned in the USA. Uh, there were many heavy metal bands who also were affected by the PMRC. So you had bands which you think are as innocuous as Warrant. You had, of course, Guns N' Roses. You had a Twisted Sister. A lot of these bands got scooped up in the midst of the censorship era. And there were many, many testimonies regarding censorship. There were many lawsuits regarding censorship. But we have Prince to thank for the foundation of the PMRC. Thanks, Prince! and you see that's why i think he was also conflicted about that not that well i wouldn't say conflicted but maybe maybe felt almost like man you know like he started not to i mean well no in fact i wouldn't say he was conflicted because it made sense that he stopped cursing after a while anyway because he realized his audience changed Mm -hmm. and he became a master innuendo you know, Ooh. lyricist. Mm-mm-mm. He was so good. That's another reason that I love yes. Prince because I love poetry. I love in your window. I love that. I love some like symbiosis or just saying things that could mean anything. I mean, that's generally how I write anyway. Before I even discovered Prince, I realized I was drawn to just that kind of style of of writing, and he was able to do that really good. So. <laughs> He could say his point without saying it. You know? <laughs> and you couldn't ban that, you know. And and there were people doing that way before. I mean, you listen to Dino Washington, Bessie's I need some sugar in my bowl. Oh, ooh, my my kitchen man. <laughs> right. Come on now. It's like I get who 
give you representations. A, I I ain't gonna give you none of my jelly roll no more. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Because those things can't be banned. But it's funny because it's just expression. It's just an expression, yeah. but it this, holds this you why, accountable. This is why I can't stand songs like Violet the Organ Grinder. This is to me oh, yeah. one of the most juvenile Prince songs. Prince is a master at innuendo at puns and, and it's just what is that that was lazy writing. i am violent lazy writing <laughs> lazy 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 writing from prince Very yeah. <laughs> he actually really did violet the organ writing it kind of amazes me that he did that song oh it was a terrible song and people love it it's a prince favorite no a lot of people like it i have a weird relationship with it. it's not that i dislike it but it's not that i like it either it's just not a song I listen to often because it's a remix of Get Off. Yeah, it is. Which he has so many versions. I have <clears throat> other versions of that Get Off I rather listen to. I mean, it does feel like a different song in itself, but it's yeah. not a song I go to generally when I want to listen to Prince. Like, it's just not. I forget about it every time. <laughs> I, I, you, you listen to the Prince catalog. The man has... I can give you some recent ones. See, Prince, he did songs like you go as late as um, well, you can go Elixir. I always go to that uh, one. That's yeah, Phil. I know you do. I know you do. Here I come. You got, I know you. Know, he has just so many ways. But then, Satisfied is another great one too, where you know, it's not just one thing. He does that a lot, and so I mean, it's he is to blame to be the responsible one. Oh, explicit lyrics. But I would say the last explicit album he did, like where it was like really explicit. Mm-hmm. Maybe come. He didn't really do it over his on his own. There are songs where maybe the gold experience actually. That's uh, it. I think the love symbol was more explicit. Well, the love symbol, yes. He was going. The love symbol was frantic. It was just yeah. Very I, I'm not into. I just I like that. He was doing so much. Like I watched the video to Love to the Nines again. Finally, oh, I mean, he told me. I was like, <laughs> wow, you are. Yeah. He really went. Had the Egyptian thing going. Then she take off the what looked like a job. I was like, oh yeah. Prince, <laughs> what are you doing? Astral projection. He was yeah. really believing that. He was doing all of that around that time. Astral projection. You're in Egypt. We're making the pyramid and all of that. <laughs> it, was, it was terribly executed. That whole era. Let me see the booty boom. Yeah. That, what? What is? No. <laughs> Just so much in that period. Loves uh, some of emancipation, but the love symbol, lazy writing. Just, Far yeah. too graphic, just not brilliant at all. Again, you, you just talked about it. Prince was a master at executing symbolism to have a song like Violet the Organ It sounded like a 12-year-old. <laughs> I grind and I grind all day. I live on the organ and I am grinding. I'll die what I won't go. It, it sounds like a 12-year-old wrote it, and at the end, he goes, Ooh, I think you better chip on this. Ooh, I think you want to chip. Yeah, he was very funny. That's oh, like that was... uh, the song, To Whom This May Concern. 
I like yeah. that one better, actually. But it's still kind of like him being a very much like a DJ, but then also saying what right. he is, what he isn't. My name isn't Prince. I'm Victor. And no, I'm not. I'm a symbol. I'm all of these different things. You will never be able to find out. All I'm saying we will let you fall. So now we have to do at some point an episode of Prince's worst songs because I feel like the more we talk about these songs, the I'm like, wait, there's something worse than Purple Rain album. Okay, wait. <laughs> you know, but it's like with Michael too. Yeah. Michael and Prince both, you know, and I'll say this for any artist and Prince's included, it's always especially Prince, because he has so much music. And a lot of times you get lost and you forget, then you come back and it's not as pleasant or it's like, ah, I don't really like this song. <laughs> um, Take Me With You, we talked about it already, but <laughs> I mean, it also depends on the mood. Because sometimes true. you can come in and it's like, oh, that's not bad. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but Violate the Order Grinder, never, never in the mood for that. That song is terrible yeah typically i wouldn't be in the mood for that <laughs> terrible so awful so I mean, this is probably going to be a part three not this episode but another one so stay tuned <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> this is a part two of our series of prince's political music again prince has made a far more articles of music than Michael and so it's a lot easier to explore his catalog. Michael will still be in the conversation but it's obvious we can't explore as many of his songs because he didn't make as many obvious political songs which Mm. we are exploring in these episodes so Prince has many more songs and we're going to at some point explore a part three (laughs) maybe next week maybe another time we have so many things to cover but thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy. And if you have any questions, comments, what's the Instagram? We have an Instagram page and an email, y'all. So the e- Instagram page is um, music underscore we JJ. And then that's the same thing. Well, music and we JJ at email.com. Music and we JJ at email. At gmail. At email.com. Make sure now. I mean, it might be Outlook. See? <laughs> No, it's Gmail, I believe. Music and we JJ at gmail.com. That's where you can find us because we have a lot that we've done and we just want to make sure that you guys stay informed where we are. Yes, we want to have a different perspective of Prince and Michael. Hopefully, you've been enjoying these perspectives. Hopefully, some things have come up to you and said, oh, I haven't thought about that before. Maybe there's some things you disagree with. Let us know. Communicate with us. We now have Instagram and email, so it's easy to get to us. So continue to communicate, continue to listen, and hopefully you are enjoying. Got anything else to say, Jesse? I say keep on loving, everybody. We got work to do. Love yourself so we can love you, too. We need your help. There's so much work to do. Are you ready to do the work? I'm not even going to get into that song. Really? Thank you. Have a good day, y'all. Thank you. you guys have a good day.